One factor makes all the difference in whether our leadership is a joy and exciting and really beneficial to people or whether it is a drudgery and difficult and a constant struggle. And that factor is trust. Yet, trust is not something that happens accidentally. We can build trust, we can develop trust, and we can help our people system have trust. Watch this episode today and learn how. You maybe noticed in a couple of sessions that Rod quoted Winston Churchill. Well, one of my favorite pieces of advice that I found on the internet is from Winston Churchill. I'm not going to try and do the voice, but he said this, never trust a quote you found on the internet. The <laughs> <laughs> thing is, what can you trust? Uh, more importantly still, can people trust you as a leader? Do they trust you? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required of stewards, remember that word is equivalent to leaders, that they be found trustworthy. Because if leaders are not seen as trustworthy, it is a disaster for your leadership. You are never going to be able to lead effectively unless you can change that. But I found some research uh, that concluded that only about half of employees trust their senior management. And when it comes to the CEO, only a quarter of them believe that the CEO is a credible source of information. Now, whether or not you are trusted doesn't just depend on you. You may find yourself in a people system that has a low trust environment. How can you tell? Well, it's probably not too difficult, but you'll see things like there'll be an atmosphere of suspicion. So you'll find manipulated, distorted facts, people spinning the truth, withholding information. There'll be a lot of blaming and criticism and accusations flying about. Maybe the biggest clue is there'll be lots of secrets, secret meetings, that kind of thing. Also, of course, there'll be a great deal of anxiety. The two tend to go together. People won't be willing to take risks. Mistakes will be covered up. There'll be a lot of over-promising and under-delivering. And then, of course, there'll be an atmosphere of tension, friction. People will be trying hard to get personal credit. If you're trying to introduce new ideas or change, there'll be open resistance. You'll find a lot of unrealistic expectations. And essentially, as a leader in a low-trust people system, or indeed anyone in a low-trust people system, you can find yourself treading on eggshells. Uh, watching your back. And it's not fun trying to lead in that kind of environment. Not only is it, is it not fun, it actually wastes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. A couple of years ago, the government in the UK claimed to have saved £1.5 billion by cutting back on red tape for businesses. And what they did was they gave more um, businesses the ability to decide whether or not their accounts should be audited. Low-risk businesses didn't any longer have to have health and safety inspections. And if employers were judged responsible employers, they were freed from being held liable for workplace accidents. Now, all of those things are essentially trust issues. And the question when it comes to a workplace and trust is, how far can we trust people to do the right thing versus... How much do we need to legislate? 
And so the more you decide you can't trust people, the more you have to legislate. And the more legislation there is, the more unproductive work and cost you cause. So if you can build an environment of trust, you'll get much more done for much less cost. And I'm not talking just financial costs. talking about cost in terms of time, hassle, stress. Warren Buffett is one of the most trusted leaders in the world. And uh, one day, Warren Buffett went shopping at Walmart. And he bought a $23 billion company called McLean Distribution. Bought it from Walmart. And he did it after a two-hour meeting and a handshake. So little more time than you spend on your weekly grocery shopping, he bought a $23 billion company. Now, can you imagine the millions of dollars of fees from accountants and auditors and lawyers that were saved and the months it would normally take in doing all that due diligence before a purchase like that went ahead? But he did it, he was able to do it because people trusted him. So if you have a a high trust system, people system, what does that look like? Well, the opposite of a low trust one. But you'll find there'll be an environment of openness. Information will be shared openly. And when when people make mistakes, those are not just tolerated, but even encouraged. People will be free to be vulnerable and real. There'll be a genuine sense of accountability. And people will feel honoured. Because the focus is going to be on other people rather than ourselves. So they'll be happy to share credit. They'll be honest. They'll be loyal even to those who aren't present. And they'll be happy to collaborate and cooperate with each other. And as a consequence of that, in a high trust people system, you'll find a great deal of creative energy. Lots of vitality. Significantly reduced anxiety. Great teamwork, increased innovation, better communication. So I know where I'd rather work. And it it struck me that a low-trust people system, in many ways, is like the legalistic, pharisaical system in which people comply with a letter of the law because they feel they have to. Their heart is probably not in it. It's not rewarding, but they feel they just have to go along with it. But in a high-trust environment, on the other hand, people are trusted to do what they think is right. They're given freedom to use their initiative, freedom to fail, if you like. And when you get those high levels of trust, I think you're talking about a system that's based on grace. So it's legalism versus grace. And one of the most significant things that you can do as an authentic Christian leader is make sure that you really understand the grace of God for yourself, and then really come to your people the way God comes to you. And in fact, that's a great principle for just about any aspect of leadership. But let's just think for a minute about how God trusts us. How does he exercise trust towards us? Well, number one, he gives us a huge commission. Go into the world, all the world, and make disciples. And then he gives us the means to fulfill it. Number two, Having delegated it to us, he trusts us to get on with it. You know, we are quite literally the body of Christ. I don't believe that's a metaphor. We are the flesh and blood through whom the Spirit of God does his work. And there's no plan B. And yet, if you look at Revelation 19 verse 7, one of my favourite verses, it tells you that the bride, that's us, 
will have made herself ready for Christ's return. So God just lets us get on with it, and yet he expresses this huge trust that we will do it. We will be ready for Christ's return. How amazing is that? And then three, all the time uh, we're doing all this, God gives us freedom to fail. Let's just talk about failure for a minute. Failure, like conflict, is nothing to be frightened of. It's going to happen. And actually, healthy failure can have the effect of increasing trust in a people system. If somebody fails and you as the leader explode at them or blame them or try to cover the failure up or back off from them, well, that will erode trust. But if you just evaluate it openly, just sit down and talk about it, encourage responsibility, essentially encourage learning without blame. You know, where do we go wrong? What can we do better next time? Then trust is going to grow. Fourthly, how God comes to us and trusts us. When we go wrong, God disciplines. As a leader, I don't like that. I don't like what I might sense is confrontation. But if I didn't discipline from time to time, I would be abdicating the leadership role that God has given me. What's the purpose of discipline? It's not to punish. It's not to say you messed up. It's to help somebody do better next time. And when you discipline, you are doing it out of love for them. You're helping them get better. Fifthly, God is always available to us. He's always there. We always bring things to him. And we need to be the same. Sixth, he shows unswerving loyalty to us, even when we are disloyal to him. We need to come to people the same way. And finally, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So if we can really get hold of that and simply come to other people the same way God comes to us, we are not going to go very far wrong. Now, what is trust? All trust flows from two dynamics. And there are old friends from previous sessions. Being, your character, your integrity, and doing, your skills, your good track record. So our definition of trust is this. It's to place your confidence in the being and doing of another. I think you could almost express this as an equation. It's quality of being plus quality of doing equals amount of confidence. Quality of being plus quality of doing equals amount of confidence. If people feel your being is right and they trust that you are competent to do what they expect you to do, they will trust you and they will follow you. And that's uh, where we have uh, emphasised for us that God is the ultimate model for trust because his being is pure love. He never changes and he can do anything and he always does what he promises to do. So a good leader... Uh, Rod said in the last session, and by the way, Rod from here on in is known as Lightning Rod, because a good leader acts, acts as a lightning rod to drain away anxiety and mistrust from their people system, provided you're earthed. So when the mistrust hits, you know, it drains away through the leader. 
Let's look at a real live uh, example. The Apostle Paul had a low trust environment in the church in Corinth. And the background was an influential teacher had turned up and was misleading the people. And if you look at um, his letters to the Corinthians, look at the first letter to the Corinthians, you'll see that Corinth was clearly a low trust people system. Um, He'd encountered open resistance. Um, There was lack of trust and and all of that was there. And so Paul wrote them what he calls a distressing letter. And many people repented as a result of that, but a small group was still there, openly critical of him. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is hoping to complete the job and bring them fully out of that low-trust environment and get them to start trusting him again. So let's just see how he goes about it. This is how he starts chapter 3. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? To which the obvious answer, of course, is no. So there are two things that Paul didn't do to try to get people to trust him. He didn't try to commend himself, big himself up, and he didn't try to get other people to commend him. Why? Because trust is a function of being and doing, not fine words. And later in the letter, in chapter 5, he says, what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. What he's saying is, I don't need to commend myself because I hope that by now you know me, you know who I am, my being, my heart. And as leaders who want to be trusted, our being, our character, our heart is of the utmost importance. And people will eventually see your being for what it is, whether that's positive or negative. I can't give you any tips for presenting your being in a better light. All I can do is say, keep walking day by day with Jesus and you will become more and more like him. And as your character becomes more and more like his, you will automatically exhibit behaviours that are more and more like his. And they will cause people to trust you because the behaviours will show people that your being is good. And so these behaviours that help people trust you, we call them trust-building behaviours of being. For example, they are, you will speak the truth in love. You'll show respect and honour. You'll be transparent. Your yes will be your yes and your no will be your no. You'll just be who you are. You won't present yourself as something you're not. You'll freely confess your shortcomings. You'll own up to your failures. By the way, when you do confess something, just bear in mind that confession is saying, I did it. If you say something like, oh, I apologise if you think I did that, What are you saying? What you're saying is, I know I didn't do that, but if you think I did, I'm sorry you made a mistake. Yeah? Um, Always say, I'm sorry I did it. And don't add any qualification. Again, these trust-building behaviours, you'll be righting wrongs. 
you'll be showing loyalty to people, as we've said, even those being disloyal to you. You'll be paying attention to people, giving them proper time. And you'll be exercising self-control, which is the final item in the list in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be expressing gratitude. There's a list of these trust-building behaviours of being in your participant's guide, if you have one, or in the free-to-lead book. But you can't just look at the list and decide to use these behaviours as if they were techniques you can learn. If they don't genuinely come from your being, people will see right through you. But trust is a function not just of being, it's about being and doing. If you have the best being in the world, people will love you, but they won't necessarily follow you, especially if you're in a low-trust environment. And Paul's letter to the Corinthians continues with Paul saying in chapter 3 that God has made him competent to be a minister. And he wants them to see that he doesn't only have a good being, but also that he's capable of doing the job of leading them well. And the people you lead need to know not only that your being is good, but also that you're competent to lead them. In other words, they need to know that your doing is good too. And so when you use your abilities, your skills and your strengths well, your doing, people will see your competence, your capability, or another word we could use is credibility. Competence, capability, credibility. Part of this is your track record. Do you have a history of getting the system to where you were intending to lead it? Rod shared a good example of that in the last session. Uh, as to how he told his church how he thought it would develop, and when it did develop that way, it gave him credibility. And part of it is, do people judge that you are capable of leading them into a desirable future? Now, there are some things that you can consciously choose to do in order to demonstrate that your doing is good. And we call these trust-building behaviours of doing. So the last list was trust-building behaviours of being, but you also have trust-building behaviours of doing. And so these are things like delivering results. You know, don't make excuses. Keep getting better. Never be satisfied with where you are. Keep making those small changes to keep improving. Confront reality. See things as they are. Clarify expectations. Be genuinely accountable. Listen actively so that the person you're speaking to feels they're the only person in the whole universe. Keep commitments. Extend trust to other people. There's nothing like trusting other people if you want them to trust you. And do what you can to meet the needs of your followers to enable them to do what they have to do. Now, these trust-building behaviours of doing are particularly helpful if you find yourself in a situation where you need to build or rebuild trust, as we'll see in a moment. But first, let's understand the function of time in losing and regaining trust. Let's imagine there's a lion here, and I'm a lion tamer. It's a new lion to me, and uh, the idea is I've got to put my head inside its jaws, and then people will clap. So... How long is it going to take me with this new lion to trust it, do you think? 
I think it's probably going to take quite a long time for me to get to the point where I've trained the lion to open its jaws and for me to put my head right inside. So here I am with my head inside the lion. How long is it going to take for the lion to lose my trust? <laughs> Just like that, okay? And that's the point about trust. It takes a long time to build, but you can lose it in an instant. Um, it can disappear just like that, just like that. The quickest way to lose trust, to destroy trust, is for you to cause people to doubt your being, your integrity, your goodwill. And if you violate one of those trust-building behaviours of being, that's what will happen. People will doubt your very being. Now, they may overlook a couple of failings. You know, no one expects us to be perfect. But if they see a pattern, if they perceive that it's constantly happening, people will lose their trust in you because they doubt your being, your very self. So if you want to rebuild trust, well, obviously, you have to stop violating whatever trust-building behaviours of being you're violating. But that's not necessarily enough. The quickest way to increase trust, though it still takes time, is through trust-building behaviours of doing. Now, what I'm not saying here is that in order to rebuild trust, you can go on a course and learn how to do some of those behaviours of doing. Your doing always flows from your being. You can't simply turn it on, at least not consistently, if your being isn't right. Let me try and illustrate this uh, by way of an example. Let's say that I said something that Rod thought was a lie, and indeed, it was a lie. Well, that is going to decrease his trust in me, and he's going to begin to be a little wary of me. And let's say that I lie again, and perhaps even one more time. That will cause Rod legitimately to lose his trust in me. And perhaps I don't realise this, but during a course of conversation, I suddenly get uh, an understanding of it because he says, you know, to be honest, Steve, I'm not sure I can trust you. And so I realise the error of my ways. And I say, Rod, well, what can I do to, to regain your trust? I, I really want to regain your trust. And, well, maybe Rod will say, first of all, well, stop lying to me, first of all. Stop lying to me. In other words, stop violating that trust-building behaviour of being. It makes me doubt your integrity. It makes me doubt your character. Now, if lying has become a stronghold a defence mechanism that I always use, that's not as easy as it sounds. And I'm going to need to work on maturing and growing, renewing my mind. But I may then say to Rod, you know, Rod, I am really, really sorry that I lied to you. And he might be thinking, so what? How do I know you're sorry? It's easy to say it. Well, thankfully, I don't leave it there, but I continue. I really want to know how I've made you feel. I really want to understand your perceptions about what happened. I really want to know how, how I can rebuild our trust. And so I recognise that it's my actions, my doing, that will show what's really going on inside. And then I listen carefully to what he has to say. And I don't interrupt him. I don't try to defend myself. And that shows, Rod, that I do really mean this. And I've taken the trouble to understand what he tells me. Active listening is a trust-building behaviour of doing. And I then say, Rod, I want to admit openly to you that I do sometimes find it difficult to tell the truth. It just somehow seems easier to lie 
in some situations. And I realise it's wrong, and it's obviously hurting people, and I'm, I think I'm going to need some help to overcome it. I've just confronted reality in front of him. That is another trust-building behaviour of doing. And then I say, Rod, at any time, would you please feel free to challenge me about whether I'm telling you the truth? Please ask me directly and clearly. And if I lie to you again, would you please report me to the Freedom of Christ board immediately? And so here's another trust-building behaviour of doing. I've clarified expectations. Well, the following week, I go to Rod, unprompted, and I ask him how he feels I'm doing. And then I confess something to him. I say, you know, Rod, I haven't lied to you, but actually this week I did once lie to Zoe, my wife. I'm practicing accountability. It's another trust-building behaviour of doing. And that will increase Rod's trust in me. Mind you, on the other hand, I've confessed to violating a trust-building behaviour of being, which will decrease his trust a little. A couple of weeks later, I've promised to take Rod fishing because he wants to try it um, and I do it quite regularly. But I call him a couple of days in advance and I explain that, I'm sorry, Rod, you know, I can't make it. Um, somebody's dropped out of running an event and I have to go in their place. Uh, I mean, I'm really sorry. And so we agree to reschedule uh, the fishing. Keeping commitments is a trust-building behaviour of doing. Although technically I haven't kept the commitment, actually in phoning him and rescheduling, I kind of have. Um, but given my track record, Rod is wondering whether I was really telling the truth or whether I just didn't want to go fishing with him. And so the next week he takes the opportunity, when he sees Zoe, to ask her how the event went. And she tells Rod it went well. And, and she also tells me that Rod asked about it. And so I call Rod and I say, Rod, thank you so much for making sure that I was telling you the truth. I really appreciate that you're checking up on me. I'm practicing accountability and I'm getting better. Two more trust-building behaviours of doing. And those intentional demonstrations of behaviour of doing, combined with not violating, or at least only once, the behaviours of being, will gradually rebuild the trust we had. But it is the behaviours of doing that do it most quickly. And it's helpful to bear in mind what those behaviours of doing actually are, and we can actively try to use them in order to increase people's trust. But you can't fake it. You could read a book to learn how to practise accountability, but when push comes to shove, knowing how to be accountable isn't the issue. It's are you being accountable that is the issue. You've actually got to put it into practice. And you can't do these behaviours of doing consistently unless your being is healthy. Let me give you that equation again. Quality of being plus quality of doing equals amount of trust. The interesting thing, actually, is violating the behaviours of doing doesn't decrease trust in the same way as violating behaviours of being. For example, if someone comes up to speak to me and I'm really trying to get ready for a meeting I'm going to go into and I've got lots of stuff to do and I fail to practice active listening, which is one of those behaviours of doing, um, I've violated a behaviour of doing. But if I've shown them respect in the past and they've seen me consistently pay attention to other people, if I'm not rude and I, I'm not dismissive of them 
And maybe if I can just say very openly, transparently to them, you know, I'm really sorry, but I, I'm, I'm really distracted at the moment because I'm about to go into a meeting and I, I'm, I know I'm not giving you the attention that you deserve to have. Then my failure uh, to actively listen is probably not going to decrease their trust in me. Now, people systems can't function without trust. But they're increasingly, just generally, prone to anxiety. And anxiety degrades trust. And increasingly, society itself, as Rod pointed out in the last session, is a low-trust environment, with people actively trying to destroy trust in leaders. Just look at how opposition politicians try to destroy trust in the government not realising, perhaps, that it will have a knock-on effect for them if they get into power. But the end result of all that is that there is a corrosive pessimism in society towards leaders and people systems. But a leader who is well-connected to their people system and yet doesn't react to all this does act as that lightning rod to drain anxiety from the people system and enable people to trust But it all starts with your being, your character, knowing who you are in Christ and working to become more and more like Jesus. It works out through your doing, your God-given competence to be the person he's called you to be in the leadership role he's called you to do. And when I say competence, it is about strengths and abilities and all that. But none of us feel competent, probably to be doing what we do. The key thing is, has God called you and chosen you and put you in the place where you are? And if he has, like Paul, I believe you can say very confidently, I am competent to do what he's called me to do. He's chosen you as a leader and he's placed you where you are. And in Christ, you have the capacity to become someone whom people trust implicitly.